Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome to Shelf Stories, the channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. And also, welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast. I am your host, Jason. Thank you so, so much for stopping by for this latest uh, chat with my heroes. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, I have to reflect upon the fact that, you know, I'm in a position now where I can email the two people who are responsible for so much fun in my life and they'll respond and say, uh, hop on the show. I'm so thankful, so blessed to be able to have this opportunity. But let me not blather on. This is not about me. This is about the two gentlemen who have joined me. I really mean that, by the way. So I'm sorry if I, I think I made Rob blush or something like that. <laughs> no, no, it just cracks me up. You said uh, that we hopped on. It took us like eight weeks to schedule this. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. I did just come in from work and like, oh, my God, I get to get the Zoom link out. So <laughs> hopping on for that. Uh, OK, so um, these are the designers of the Pandemic Legacy series. So my, I, my favorite game is Pandemic. You see a whole wall of Pandemic right there. There you go, Matt. Let's look at all that. This is it. <laughs> this is, and this is in every video. So there you go. <laughs> Not fronting awesome. over here. Uh, so actually, I will introduce uh, Matt first. Uh, he is Mr. Matt Leacock, designer of many of your favorite games, including many um, iterations of Pandemic, as well as the Pandemic Legacy series, and has a very exciting upcoming project, which we'll talk about at the end of the show. But until, <laughs> before we get to that, uh, Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I do not have as many of this pan's designs on my shelf, but I very much right. enjoy the entire Restoration Games project, which is something that is, Rob is very intimately um, involved with, and also the uh, Godfather, Progenitor, I don't know what you call yourself in terms of the idea of legacy. So something yeah. highfalutin. Yeah, uh, yeah we go highfalutin. Okay, the uh, <laughs> the grand poobah of the legacy concept. Uh, for 10 years, we're talking Risk Legacy. I actually played Risk Legacy at the time before there was any legacy. Very excited to uh, you know see what was coming. And then we got 10 years of a lot of different stuff. So we're going to reflect on that. But before I get to that, Mr. Rob Davio, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. And it's been almost exactly 10 years because I just celebrated my 10-year wedding anniversary. And I mm. remember reading the first review of Risk Legacy on my honeymoon. So it was like 10 years ago this week. Yeah, I was looking at the thing. It was 20, yeah, 2011 that mm -hmm. Risk Legacy hit our tables. All right, mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, so, uh, so, yeah, so we're having this conversation in two parts. Uh, Pandemic Legacy Zero has, you know, been disseminated. Unfortunately, it came right in the right as the, the pandemic began, uh, the, COVID, the real pandemic, the COVID pandemic. Uh, so we're going to get to all that and talk about, you know, uh, the pandemics and the second half of our episode. The first half is we'll, we'll be talking about legacy in general, the state of legacy, how it's, evolved. it's been 10 years. Legacy is, I mean, for a while there was like the thing, mm -hmm. right? It was just, it was the thing. Everybody, you know, when pandemic legacy especially hit, it was the thing. Uh, so it, it and when it be, when something becomes the thing, it becomes it gets to be defined differently, right? People understand it different ways. You know, is legacy boxes? Is legacy stickers? Is legacy permanence? Is legacy uh, storytelling? Is legacy just a campaign? Is you know da, da 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 da. So I mean, let's just start from the very beginning, at the you know 2011. Like we can start from there. Uh, Rob, how did you when you first kind of developed the legacy concept? What were you thinking? Like, what were like, what were some of the constitutive elements that went into what you thought a legacy game was? Uh, what I was thinking really was, this is a really bizarre idea, and I'm going to be laughed out of the industry. But there might be <laughs> something cool here. Um, I 
came up with the idea. I've talked about it a lot over the past 10, sure. 10 years, so I'll do a real quick version. But I came up with the idea for Clue first and sort of pitched it to Hasbro like a, you know, you get a rap sheet and the usual suspects and people get out of jail and a series of crimes. And um, they, they weren't interested and I make sense. Then I moved it over about nine months later to Risk, which um, they were willing to take a little bit more of a, of a chance on and do something a little different. And really at the beginning, it was about the permanence. It wasn't about boxes or storytelling in any particular way. And if you look at Risk Legacy, it has the sort of thinnest story. It's just more of a, gives you a bunch of tropes for your group to put right. together a story. And it's very non-linear. Mm -hmm. um, and some people have always have said that that was their favorite one. They really didn't want stories in later ones. Mm -hmm. and, but it was about putting stickers down and making permanent changes and not being able to go backwards. And that was like the real idea that a campaign that's permanent, playing poker for real money. And what I discovered mm -hmm. pretty early on in the in the playtesting process, excuse me, non-COVID cough. <laughs> allergies. You can have all the COVID you want. We're totally in our ensconced hours. Prefer, I, I prefer to have none. No COVID for you. Good. Okay. Um, that if you gave people uh, all these stickers to use, and there was no governors to them. They used them all in the first game. Mm. There was no sense. Like, so it was like, you get these, these scars, I think we call them, where you can put up defensive terrain and offensive terrain. And, and people would be like, I did it. I used every st sticker possible. And now what do I get for game two? I'm like, nothing. Those were supposed to last and you were supposed to be tactical with them. And it, it didn't work. So I said, oh man, I need some way to give them like starting stickers. And mm. then new stickers and then maybe different types of stickers. And I went, well, what if I just put them in an envelope? And then when you're playing, you sort of open it up when you achieve some sort of um, milestone. And at the time I thought, well, that's pretty interesting because sometimes in risk, you know, you're not winning, but it just takes a while to lose. And I thought, well, maybe that person can then look at victory condition B and say, well, if I'm not going to win, at least maybe I can get that envelope open. And it mm. would sort of be a consolation prize. And what I completely misjudged is how appealing a wrapped present is because everyone just treated them like the primary thing. Like, yes, it's, yes, it's nice to win, but how fast can we get to these goodies? Mm -hmm. And those two things sort of became uh, a tentpole of, of a sort of like permanent change. So your game goes off in a different direction and unlockable content mm -hmm. that help drives a narrative and basically is an expansion inside the box so that you don't have to learn all the rules at the beginning. You play a couple of games and you say, okay, here's a new rule, here's a new rule. And it allows the game to get very complex mm -hmm without uh, starting out at a high level of complexity and, and just kept pushing, like what silliness can we do in this box? I just decided if we're gonna try this, just try everything and to my delight, it did well. Yeah, speaking of that, um, cause I remember playing Rest like I said, I don't think we ever finished our campaign. Like we didn't kind of need to because we opened up a lot. <laughs> that was <laughs> the thing. And I still remember there was a point where it was me and another opponent and we were looking at the condition for unlocking a box of stuff. No spoilers, right? Even 10 years out, I respect spoilers. And we were saying, but the, although it was, it was a, it's risk. So it's like, okay, obviously there's like nuclear fallout involved. So it's like, in order to open this box, we need to get into a nuclear war. Neither of us benefited from this nuclear war. Like we could have just played the game, but like, we have to open the box. Let's just get into a nuclear war just for the, just for the heck of it. <laughs> and to, you know, to have like these, these left turn gaming moments, created by, you know, the lure of the unwrapped presents and the stickers and all that. That was definitely part of the risk. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I was saying like, I was just, in retrospect, it was obvious. If it, you know, I, I played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons growing up and I never played or ran a session where if you put a lever in a room, someone doesn't pull it. You can't go, well, that's probably, 
it's not hurting us now. So let's just keep walking. Probably right. just gets worse. Someone is pulling that lever. Right. And what I did is I gave a box of levers and buttons and Christmas presents and things to open saying, yeah, you open these, it's your call when you open them. You don't have to wait. I mean, you, you have to sort of get to this condition and it just became a, a lure that, mm-hmm. you know, people couldn't get away from. And I think that was when Matt and I started working on mm-hmm. pandemic legacy. That was like an insight I already had, you know, going into that. So then um, Rob is designing Rick's legacy. Uh, I know we've talked about this a couple of times too, but we can just, we're just kind of laying familiar tracks. We can move forward in the conversation. What were the things specifically that drew you to uh, wanting to adopt the legacy model to your baby? Oh, that's for you. pandemic, you mean? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's pandemic. you. Yeah. 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 Oh my <laughs> I don't God. know. Do you think of pandemic as your baby? Is, or do you have many babies? Uh, or something yeah, like that? I think uh, after, after all these years. Yeah. Yeah. Bit, yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, I, I think it, it really came out of a discussion with uh, uh, the publisher at Z-Man. Uh, like we were just brainstorming different ways we could take pandemic as, as, you, as you would, right? I mean, it was successful and we had done some expansions. And so the idea of like, hey, what if we came up with like pandemic the dice game or pandemic the card game or pandemic the legacy game? Yeah. And I, I remember laughing, <laughs> laughing about that when that was suggested because I was, I was uh, working at a startup at the time and the thought of like, uh, coming up with a pandemic legacy game uh, just seemed like way too big of a task. And so I'm like, yeah, whatever, That maybe someday. And shelved the idea. Um, but I think it was a few months later, um, I opened up a sketchbook and just started sketching like, what ifs, you know, what if what if we did a pandemic legacy game, what would that be? And I like, it was, I just furiously scribbled out these notes. They just started pouring out of me all these different mm. uh, story ideas, all these different uh, mechanism ideas and so on. And after filling up a couple pages, I'm like, okay, this is gotta, we gotta make this happen. So I, I got back in touch uh, with Z-Man and they put me in touch with Rob. And um, it, it took yeah. a little while because you weren't at Gen Con as I was at Gen Con. And then someone from Z-Man said, Matt Leacock's trying to get in touch with you. And I went, can't, the only thing I can think of is pandemic legacy. That'd be that'd be cool. That's probably not <laughs> it. I don't know. Right. And then uh, it was I was uh it was 2012. No, 2013. 2013. Oh, me. I'm usually it was 2013. I had left Hasbro a year before. I was still very much hustling to make my name a name for myself outside of Hasbro and doing freelance and pitching ideas. And so I got home and completely forgot about it. And then about two or three weeks later, I was walking through my basement and I saw pandemic on the shelf. I said, ah, yeah, Matt. Matt wanted to get in touch with me. I should try to, right. you know, I he went up on Twitter, I'm like losing my way. And I like added him like, where well, are you looking for me? <laughs> and we kind of traded direct messages and then emailed. Yeah. And then that's how it got started. It was like August of, or September of uh, 2013. Yeah. I should look for the original email. I know it was, it was pretty short. It's sort of like, Hey, you want to do a, uh, do you want to do a pandemic legacy? What do you think? And, and I think you just wrote back. Yes. I just wrote back. Yes. In, in like the largest, really? the largest font size that it would let me like 144 point. Yeah. Yeah. And then we, I just kicked off uh, what five, six years plus. of. Uh, uh, yeah. Let's see. 2013 to we six years. So three yeah. games in six years. And um, no, we got on a phone and we started talking and, you know, we're just trying to like figure out, can we work together? Can we brainstorm together? And I was like, you know, I've, uh, I did Risk Legacy and I was in the middle of doing Seafall at the time. And I said, the only thing I'm convinced about is this doesn't work as a co-op, but we can give it a try. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, in retrospect, Legacy works much better as a co-op, yeah. but it didn't know it at the time. I remember also you, you're writing something about, uh, this is going to be fun for a little while, then it's not going to be fun at all. And then it's going to be fun again. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, that pretty much summarizes game design right there. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you mean the designing of the game? Like yeah, the, the designing okay. of it. The yeah. designing of it. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. at the beginning, like it, you know, when you design any game at the beginning, it's the notebook phase. It's that any idea yeah. counts and there's no money or art or table pro- you know, like you just it's just the, the everything world works in your mind. Yeah. Everything <laughs> works and everything's just like oh, look how clever I am and this is gonna right. be perfect. I'm gonna get it on the first try. And then at some point, reality sets in. You're like, oh, none of these ideas worked. It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I've because re- I listened to a bunch of um, interviews with you uh, over the years because it's been a long journey. And I remember at one point you said, "Man, it's like okay, wow, we're it's so great. We're ninety percent done with this game." And then it's like, wait a minute. Now we have to finish the other 90% of the game. Yeah, yeah. usually 80%. <laughs> yeah. I'm more optimistic. It's 80 and then 80. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that always feels right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then I guess drilling down, like, you know, obviously Legacy was, you know, why Legacy though? Like there's so many ideas, right? There's so many things that could be done and you've done many of the things with Pandemic and they keep on going. I guess like, you know, in terms of, you know, was it the permanence? Was it the wrapping of presence? Was it the the story possibilities? Even though the story possibilities weren't even realized in Risk Legacy, uh, because they were, it was more emergent, right? Like people mm-hmm. just shared their experiences. There was no like this was the first legacy game that I believe had like a narrative, and they they Actually, leveraged legacy. Okay, I sorry, I, I'd have to look. It might be the second legacy game from Risk Legacy to Pandemic Legacy was four years, yeah. and I think. Like we didn't play test this at all. Legacy came out. There were like these little card games, but I was like, hmm, Risk got a lot of buzz. I expected another one. And I think a lot of people started and said, this is hard. Yeah. Or it takes too much time, or I could design four games in this time period. And there's a lot of very tricky things about knowing manufacturing processes, mm-hmm. processes to um to make it affordable because a lot of what you're paying for is hiding stuff. So when mm-hmm. people open the box, they don't want to say, is this all I get? Not realizing that, you know, you've paid for all these things. So I think part of what made Pandemic sort of do so well is it really was the second one. Like Risk was yeah. a published playable concept that did pretty well. And then there weren't that many. And then it was between 2015 and probably 2019 that a, that a whole bunch of them came out. Mm-hmm. And so was it the story, the boxes, the permanence, the, you know, did you imagine, because Risk Legacy did not have a narrative, that had an emergent story, but didn't have a narrative story. Like, did you see that? Like, that did that compute with you or did that emerge from discussions with Rob? I think for me, it was just a sense of progression. Like you could have, the, you could set the stage this way and then make decisions that have, you know, consequences. Right. And then you could tilt it another way. And I think to some extent, the story kind of like rationalizes a lot of the change, but then you come up with a great story and you're like, okay, how do we bounce back from that? and like put in really cool me- mechanisms to back it up. And so we're constantly ping-ponging between those. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I, I think I would probably be inventing what <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, drawn to it. I mean, it was a lot of the story beats and a lot of the different ideas that we could, we could get in there that you can't just throw all of them in the box. But if right. you stage them one after another, you've got the opportunity to do it. Uh, yeah, that, yeah. My, my answer of saying that it was the second one, I think partly explains it, that there was still a sense of, can you do this in a board game? And then, you know, this is neat and yeah. it's different and it's, it's novel and innovative. And I think, you know, I've seen, um, you know, fewer legacy games. I think there's one left I have that will come out next year. I'm not working on them and haven't started a new one in years. Like mm-hmm. they take a long time. And I think people sit down and they say, I don't, I don't want to commit, you know, 15 games like risk right. to play, you know, it's a, it's a audience. People want to see what's the next thing. Um, mm-hmm. 
I definitely but, wanted to ask about that follow-up because the reception of Legacy has been mixed. It has been as okay. as conjured different, you know, feelings among folks. And, and that's fine. I mean, I've had people get very mad at me at conventions. Like, I don't want to play a game that you only play once. And it's like, well, there's there's go, there's hundreds of others. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, pick a, your favorite game. I probably don't want to play it, right? Like right. it's it's fine. Then <laughs> we've got thousands of games out there, but um it sort of broke some some covenants that yes. between players and Absolutely. you know what what's in the player's control and what's in the designer's control and what a board game should be and shouldn't be. And I think at a very unconscious level, if you have these unspoken rules to like everyone's role and what a game should and shouldn't do, it it, it hits you at a, a deeper level. Now people just get mad at me for putting apps in oh, games like Return to Dark Tower. That also is a very strong trigger point, which is interesting because board games have had electronics in them for decades mm -hmm. but as soon as it goes to a phone there's a there's a difference because people want to get off their phone to play a board game but no one ever got off their little handheld electronic device to play a board game so it, there's always things that people just want their games to be or not be um so I i'm think not it's, the, it's the issue of updatability like you know we're always updating our ios and there's going to be a point where the app isn't going to update and my board game's not going to work mm -hmm. Where yeah, in dark, I mean, like I can play the original Dark Tower for, as long as I have like a fresh set of double uh, batteries. Well, you've got a very particularly good set because most of the time you get, uh, you know, the IC stops working, the light stops working, mm -hmm. you get battery decay in there. You know, it, you know things. Yeah, we. Well, not to sidetrack yeah. that completely, <laughs> but uh, we we have said that so we will update yeah. it as long as we're in business. And if we go out of business, uh, the code goes public, and Jeff Engelstein is the basically the executor mm -hmm. of making the code public. Oh, that's, that's cool. That's good yeah. to know people. <laughs> if you're worried yeah. about your, your games expiring because of the app situation. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, if, we, if we're not using it and we're not updating it, it's there you go. It's public domain now. And anyone can look in under the hood. So obviously, you know, Rob's getting it a lot because he's Mr. Le Mr. Legacy, but that's exactly what I want to talk about in terms of the broken covenants and the broken expectations. Uh, how much did you get that? Matt, on your end, in terms of like, you know, now I have this product that I can only play X amount of times and then it's done. Like, I can't just pass it on to yeah, somebody else. I, I can just, this is, you know, I, this is this thing, either I'm going to mount it on my wall, the, the finished board, which some people said they did, but most people said, and they didn't do it. And, but it's really like, you know, a disposable game. How much, how much of that did you deal with from the audience? Not as much as I anticipated, honestly. I mean, I had read the boards for, uh, on Board Game Geek, for example, um, and understood some of the blowback that Risk Legacy had in this regard. And I, I think I was lucky in some respects that, you know, Rob with Risk Legacy had had broken that ground mm -hmm. and a lot of that actually had already happened and had been processed. So um, I saw many more rebuttals of like, well, look at your wall. How many of those games have you actually played more than once? And mm -hmm. this is a game that you're going to play 12 to 24 times. So uh, a lot of a lot of people defending it, and from from a value perspective, and from you know quality perspective. So yeah, there was some of that, and I, I think you know that's controversial because we're breaking norms and so on. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, there was some of it, but I actually anticipate a little bit more of it. Okay. So yeah, and yeah. the intro. I, I mean, I tried to see that coming with risk. Um, in the sense that you play it 15 times. The number was sort of, okay, what's a big enough number that you won't get super tired, but you can't complain about it? And I decided 15 was the, the number. And then at the end, the game just stabilizes. And then you just can play it forever and ever. And it's like every other game on your shelf in the sense that it just doesn't change anymore, but it's infinitely replayable. But again, about these expectations, because it was changing for 15 games up to that, once it stops changing, you say, well, it's useless now. 
And it's a real psychological thing. You say it doesn't, it doesn't do what it used to do. And I'm like, well, it's just a board game now. Like it's just, just like all of these. And I'm like, mm, no, nah, it doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was put in on risk that like in a, just about every legacy game I've done, pandemic ones being the big exception, has a free play mode at the end. Mm-hmm. Like you get to the end, play. And and I bet 99% of people don't. Right. But it, but it's there so that we can say, like, no, you don't necessarily have to, but but your pandemic legacy doesn't have that, and it's sold the best. Mm-hmm. So okay, like in terms of the so a legacy has moved on, right? I mean, other, I remember you said at one point, Rob, that um, you would like to play a legacy game that you haven't designed. Mm-hmm. So have you played a legacy game that you have not designed? No, I don't have time. Oh, <laughs> oh I, I asked Actually, about, I, yeah. I, I, I was, I was, I started like King's Dilemma with friends ah. and we bought Clank Legacy and then the pandemic hit. Right. And you really need to be in person for that. You really need to have like regular stuff. And now that it's sort of, we're coming out of it. And then we yeah, came out of it in the summer, but everyone was just like, ah, what do we do? Um, I, I predict like in the fall, our game night is, is coming back together. It's a little spotty and people have young kids who aren't vaccinated and things like that, um, that, that I will get to, to play these games. I find that, you know, sorry, go ahead and play another legacy game. I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. That'd be interesting. Um, I do find though that legacy has kind of morphed. And I think that the part of the reason why it's morphed is that covenant of like this, I need to be able to play this game after it's done. Right. I need mm-hmm. to be able to kind of like, even if they don't, right. Yeah. You guys can talk about all the times, like, even if they, you know, they, they want the, the idea of it, it feels better. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like I want to be able to like either pass this along or whatever there. So then you have this idea of like a green legacy game. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yeah. It's called a campaign. I would imagine. So that's what I'm talking. That's what I'm asking. Yeah. It's like, you know, at, at one point, uh, does, has legacy, I maybe, I don't know if this is a, the, the proper question, but I'm thinking about it. One of your thoughts that, you know, at some point is legacy, like, is there a point where legacy just kind of like veers off and doesn't become the thing that you meant it, meant it to be anymore? Sure. I mean, every time I work on a new one or Matt and I work on a new one, it changes from what it did before. And, you know, you're constantly pulling between, well, we did this and it works so we can just do it again versus we did this and we've done it already. So let's try something new. Yeah. But every person is going to have a different way that they want to execute execute stuff. And to be fair, it is terrifying to ask people to rip up cards and permanently change a game. As a designer, you go, can I, am I allowed to do this? So it's just natural instinct the the more people who do something and the more something evolves, it's going to get more conservative by nature, mm. right? You, you know, the envelope was pushed and the only place to really go is, is backwards to something that feels a little more traditional. Mm-hmm. So things going from legacy to green legacy to campaign, and then legacy just might mean there's a story in the box with unlockable content, the permanence gets minimized or even gone. And, you know, that's up for anyone to decide what they want to pull it in and put it in whatever they want to call it. I think it's interesting to watch, you know, you look at collectible card games or deck builders and, you know, you usually have one at the beginning and then people do different things and some stuff comes in into them and some stuff goes out and it's just a natural evolution of design. Mm-hmm. I, I love yeah. that point about conservatism and like, you know, that there's a, there's a pushing, but then there's like, well, let's make it more like what people are used to kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And I look at uh, Knutia's My City, which uh, won some awards and was pretty popular. And it's a, uh, you know, just a, a shorter time frame. You can play your games and plenty of stickers, lots of envelopes. It's sort of his take on it. So I, I still see, um, 
see innovation and and uh, this being worked on. Maybe not as with as much hype, but I, I think there's a, a really rich toolbox that's yet to be explored. Yeah, and I I got one of those in fall of 2019. I have my sitting yeah. downstairs and you know haven't played it, but like the fact that Reiner Knizia was inspired by something I did because <laughs> I entered this industry in '98 continues to blow my mind. Mm. It's fantastic. Um, have you have uh, going to Matt? Have, did you have conversations with Z-Man about like what they were thinking about in terms of legacy and what they would want to see? Because that was obviously, you know, the trilogy was planned and trilogy was executed. Uh, was there uh, sort of? <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> trilogy do, was not I mean, planned. Trilogy was credit, like okay. I mean, I mean, they right. were they were really big uh, defenders of the, the the product and the idea and really bold, you know, the whole idea of like, uh, you know, we're saying we're going to do a campaign that's you play through once fine. Yes. You know, embrace that. And, uh, and then got to the point where they, <laughs> we saw the title of the game and it had season one on it. I mean, this is a yeah. surprise to you as well, right, Rob? Yeah. Like, we did we're not like, know that this was season oh, wow. one, right? <laughs> this was pandemic legacy. And so when season one went on, they're like, Oh, are there going to be others? Wow. Uh, yeah, we Which knew was, we I I we kind of talked about it, but yeah. Yeah, I, I had the prototype and I lived close enough to Montreal to just drive up. It was a beautiful like fall week in like October. And I'm like, well, I'll just drive it up. We'll talk it through, we'll play, we'll meet with people and drive home. And and then the publisher then I was like, Great, this is uh, just so you know, we've talked about we're really excited, people have seen it. So we're gonna call this season one. And uh, you know, you and Matt start season two as soon as you can. And I literally went up going, okay, that was a huge project. It was a lot of work and I'm done. No, I'm not done. Nope. I came <laughs> home with, came home with another one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was there any thought of a season two and season zero having that like green legacy aspect where it's like playable at the end? Or was it like, now we've set the pace. Oh, for sorry, are, you, are you calling green legacy something that's replayable at the end? Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, that I just I there's very few things that I get particular about, but that was in Risk Legacy. Like, so it's yes. not a new thing. And it was in Betrayal okay. Legacy and Machi Koro Legacy and Ultimate Werewolf Legacy. Like all these right. games I've worked on have had that. This was the it's, only one that was like the okay. pandemic ones are the only mm-hmm. ones that do not have that. They are the exception, um, mm-hmm. which is interesting. But I've had people say, like, like you say, like, oh yes, but we added this at the end. And I go, hold up. Um, that's kind of in most of them. Um, right. No, we we mm-hmm. talked about it with the publisher and we said, you know, should we come up with a, a mode, even if it's not in the box that we can put on the website or some sort of after you're finished. And the publisher said, no, take that time and just start on the next one. You know, mm-hmm. we feel confident that people will still buy. It. And I remember being like, uh, mm, okay. Interesting. And, and relatively little fallout from it given yeah i mean for me it was just a matter of like embracing the format wholeheartedly and saying look you know this is a story it's got a beginning it's got an end and so on and i mean to be fair you can play pandemic on the board when you're done but it's it's not pandemic legacy at that point right so um i didn't have a problem with it Um, right and the different mechanisms they you can't really do the dot 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 spoiler alert again yeah. it's like you just you're just playing regular pandemic at that point and just play some of them are harder to replay at the end than, than others i mean like season mm-hmm. two i don't i think it would be really tough to replay where season zero there are fans uh who have created like web apps that will generate objectives for you so mm-hmm. you can continue to play and they're really fascinating so yeah. I mean, if you do want to replay it there's a there's a whole lot of fan made ways to to replay the game yeah the way i kind of look at it is it's um playing at least the pandemic legacies it's like going to a restaurant Right? You have an experience, you look at the menu, you order stuff, and then you get to the end, and then they're like, please leave our restaurant. It's 
It's done. <laughs> you can come back tomorrow. You can look at the same menu. You can make different choices. You can make the same choices, but it'll be a little different. But you can't just sit here at the table and just keep getting desserts given to you in an endless fashion. Like it's an experience rather than a product. It's like going to a concert versus yeah. listening to an album. It's like going to a restaurant. Like it, 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 it's by nature going to be a little different every time. And you're paying a ticket to get on the ride and then the, the ride ends. And that, that's, that's hard for a lot of people. And it's even hard for me to think about sometimes. I guess the idea is like we have this cardboard. It's, there's a physical product here. And I think, you know, we, uh, you know, they have a whole shelf full of games right behind me. And like people walk down, they see their shelf and they're just like, I'm this, either it's being played or it's useless. Right. And you get that, that shelf of shame and you get that whole narrative and everything. So it's like, you know, I don't like bring anything out of a dinner. You know, everything that I experienced at a dinner is going to just, you know, be in the toilet in, in three hours. So like having the physical product is going to make, well, make hopefully, it makes hopefully a, a little longer. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, it mixes up some expectations and covenances, you know, that and that's the thing that I think um, some people get a thrill out of that. Uh, I remember growing up, I collected comic books and I would put them in sleeves and it was going to fund my retirement. And now I'm looking to get rid of all of them because my kids are grown up and they're worth like a hundred dollars total. And, um, and I treated them like this sacred artifact, you know, like that was dug up from the desert from a thousand years ago. And then when I was living in New York City, right out of college, someone was selling, I'm sure, stolen comic books on the street. And for like 10 bucks, I got a box of ratty comics that were useless. And it was such a relief to throw them around my apartment, bend the cover, like just this. It went from like, I have to treat it so preciously to mm -hmm. I can just enjoy this for what it is. It is just a piece of paper. Right. It's the same thing as someone giving me a flyer for a pizza. Like it doesn't have any value other than we put in it. And I know some people really have enjoyed being like, oh man, we can have food at the table and we can have drinks. And one of the very first play tests I did with friends for Risk Legacy, someone spilled their scotch and it went all over the board. And they're like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, why? We drew a line around it, like the scotch stain, <laughs> and we called it like the Highland Park front, right? Like it was just like a front where the scotch had stained it. And they're like, that's really cool. I'm like, mm -hmm. welcome to it. So there is something cathartic to, to a number of people who say like, it was just nice to not worry, not sleeve, not think about it, not worry about food or Doritos on the fingers. And it was, it was just like a nice break from everything being pristine. Now, some people have the opposite reaction. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the story that it did, that legacy enabled pandemic to tell that, um, is that, you know, in I mean, we could t talk about in terms of this framework of like, okay, replayable or not, but like if they're non-replayable games, uh, do you feel like that, like, do you feel like pandemic really realized a lot of what you were thinking about? Or is, would you do like, if you had to go back, would you kind of approach legacy slightly differently? Oh, uh, yeah, it, it's really hard to, to answer, really. I mean, we explored so many different ideas across the series. I don't feel like we have a whole lot uh, left on the table. Um, you know, we went through season one and then some of the concepts left over. Or uh, actually, I think season two is really a reaction to one. It's sort of like, how could we take one and kind of flip it on its head and do everything mm -hmm. in the opposite way? So, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't feel like there's a whole lot that's left unsaid or that I would ever change much. Um, mm -hmm. The, and, you know, the self-contained, you know, experiences really kind of worked for what you were trying to do with Pandemic. And 
you know, it's all good. Yeah, I'm, well, I mean, to be, to be honest, I was blown away by the reception. So, yeah. <laughs> 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 I think Rob and I were happy about the game, but yeah, we didn't expect it to explode up the charts. So. Yeah, I, yeah. Like, what a weird sort of thing. Like, does this happen all the time? Do you get the number one game after a couple months? On BT? <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, in retrospect, like, wow, I should have enjoyed that a lot more. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can always go back and, and, like when we, the ending to season one, we didn't know it was trilogy. So it has like an ending as if there aren't two more games. Mm. So like, yeah, we could go back and change those cards to do it. And there was like, maybe this month, regular people say is hard and we could tweak one tiny thing, but you know, at some point you give, give it your best and you just walk away and then you decide that was a snapshot of our best work at that time with the data we had given and you know, there's so many like you know, George Lucas edited Star Wars. Like, I was just gonna say that I didn't have times. a strong Lucas the desire to go back right. and tweak things. And he still wants to go back. And he still wants, and he said he still wants to go back. And it's like, no, but I I want to Star Wars from 1977 that I saw when I was a little kid. Like I don't, you didn't make it better. You just made it not the movie that I like. You might like it better. Um. So I, I you know, I there's always a temptation to say if all three were put in front of us and they said, you, you have to make this better. It's like, we mm-hmm. can find some stuff, but uh, you know, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't want to, Matt, do you want to jump in and redo all? Of them? No. <laughs> <laughs> Actually. Um, so I did get a couple of questions and I uh, reaching out to our discord. Once I've co-opted our discord, thank you so much for uh, chipping in with like thoughts and everything um, in terms of the work, in terms of how difficult it is to execute a legacy game you know the because i imagine that there's a lot that can go kind of south in terms of the player experience so it's like if they open the thing at the wrong time or if they you know make something permanent that makes their game really really hard or really really easy or something like that uh is that how much of that like occupied the design time that kind of issue i uh, that's that's a huge part of it i mean yeah uh you're you're managing a a, a number of different threads. I mean, one is sort of like the emotional journey of the player. Like, are they mm-hmm. are they having ups and downs at the right time in a given game or episode, as it were, or uh, across the arc? You know, where are they kind of feeling? Um, then there's uh, the complexity of the experience. Like, are we? <laughs> Rob and I have a tendency to just kind of like front load way too much stuff yeah. early on because we're excited about all the <laughs> ideas, and then we just kind of have to kind of push mm-hmm. it and kind of even it out over the course of the over the, the campaign so that players aren't just overwhelmed with too much information so managing that kind of flow over time mm-hmm. um and then you know uh uh watching for um all the different ways that the players might screw up because uh, they can have com- compounding effects looking for any kind of usability errors or how do players naturally want to play this stuff Mm-hmm. And then, you know, how are they internalizing the story over time? Is it making sense to them? I, I could probably come up with like another half a dozen of these. Sure. But yeah, it's not just for one game. You have to do that for the whole campaign. And that's that's where it really gets time consuming. Right. And, you know, like one of the things that we ended up doing, it's pretty subtle. And I'm not sure we did it universally. But if there was something narratively that we wanted to, you know, do as a surprise, like, and, oh, by the way, you know, the, the president has been kidnapped or whatever like that, we would usually put it at the end of a game, like a cliffhanger. So you're like, we need to come back and play another one to mm-hmm. see what happens. But if it's a new rule that we introduce, we often do it at the beginning of the next game when your brain is fresh and you can internalize it. In reality, they're both happening between game three and four. So there's no difference on, on paper between the end of game three and the beginning of game four, except you probably went home and then you came back and it might be two weeks later or three weeks later and you might be tired from game three. So there's all these little things that we try to do to either get you to want to play the next game or remember the new rules 
that were in there. And I know with season one, we were, I think we did this unconsciously in the rest of them, but we would introduce a new problem in a month and then give you some tools to make it a little easier in the month or two that followed. So you have to struggle with it the first month, really learn how hard this new you know, mechanism is. And the next month you go, that, we want that sticker. That's the one we want. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And, and if we threw six different problems at players, every group was going to have two that weren't a problem for them, two that they could deal with, and two that they just couldn't get their head around. But it would be like a different set for everyone. So they would always buy the stickers for the things that bothered them, that they just didn't internalize or always seemed to bite them. And that was like a, a fun little thing to sort of discover. All right. Is there anything else in terms of the legacy process that viewers should know? Or maybe potential designers. I actually have a couple of designers that, that were looking at it and we're not getting as many legacy games. I think that, you know, the gaming, like you said before, like the maybe a little bit of that conservatism hits and it's like, okay, we're, I might as well just make this a campaign game. You know, legacy seems like it's a little bit whatever, uh, but people might be want to dip their toes. Right. And yeah. so what are some of the things that, you know, would, would you would tell a designer? That was that wants to tip their toe specifically in the permanence and the unwrapping of legacy. I would wow. I would say start with a really simple game uh, yeah. that you can modify, like a really simple core, because then you can you can experiment with different adornments, you add them, subtract them, tweak them, modify them. If you've got a complicated base game, and it's even even harder if you've got a complicated new base game, then you've got mm-hmm. to teach this new game. You have to teach all the complexity of it, and then you have to throw all this other stuff on top, and it, it just becomes a really difficult thing for people to to get. So if you're lucky enough to, to be able to build one on an existing game, you can attract that existing audience and then give them a new experience. Yeah, that's, that's the case. I've only done one legacy game where it was creating the engine from scratch and doing it. And it was Seafall. And there was just so many sophomore, you know, slump sort of things in there. Like I was new to working on my own. I was trying to make it overly complex. I like kind of got all the bad ideas out between risk and, and, and pandemic, but that was one of the key ones is not saying, no, no, the game that you get in game one should be the game you have three quarters of the way through the campaign. Like it should build up to that. And uh, I could do a whole, you know, the podcast on what I would change there and might someday. I don't know. It's, it's mine again now. I just don't know if anyone's like, wow, we want that one again. Um, but I'm like, ah, I just feel like I fouled that one off and I could, uh, I could, I could do a better job with it. Um, yeah. And, and as Matt said, we would often come up with all these ideas and get excited. And we would have these ideas from January through like May of the board game, you know, arc. And then those ideas would end up going from January to September. Like it was all good ideas and it was just too many. Cause you know, you talk about it for hours and hours. And so really look at how much you're giving your players to try to digest at once. Cause it's likely too much. Yeah, you have to rely on. I was going to say, if you have to rely on memory, it's it's usually a bad thing because it could be months between games. So if you're going to make a point in the story, you have to kind of you you have to be really on the nose and you can't be super subtle about it, uh, or people yeah. will just lose track of things. So if you can give like embody things physically in the set that are really salient, that that helps a tremendous amount, so that people aren't like, what the hell is going on in this game again? Because it can be the best story ever if, if four months have gone by. Uh, you know. It, yeah, it's I not mean, a your novels too, right? You, you're like, oh, I, I read that three years ago. I have no idea what's going on now. Right, or you pick up a TV show and you go, wait, who was yeah. that? Would they introduce a new character? What was that person again? Um, yeah, the we tend to go a little, uh, little tropier, a little straightforward because it might be months, and so it's not quite. If you meet a bad guy, they have a 
sinister mustache and an eye patch and and stuff like that. But, (laughs) you know, we don't want to have like, here are 12 characters, all with subtle hidden agendas who are working and you got to like suss them out and interview like over the course of 12 games. No one will know who these people are, what they're about. Or even mechanism wise, I definitely noticed that since you said that uh, all three of the games, it was like, okay, beginning of the month, here is one new mechanism. Here's one new thing that you need to do. And then it's on, and then there's multiple objectives. So it's like, okay, here are two objectives that lean on previously learned things. And then here's one little new thing, mm-hmm. you know, to, to take care of, or the new thing would get introduced midstream or whatever it is. But I definitely noticed that like, okay, here's the, you know, one pellet, one pellet, one pellet, you know, throughout <laughs> <laughs> or one new pellet, you know, the, throughout the uh, thing. And then, you know, I think at some point you played with, you know, like a September time would be like a time of like, okay, here you go. I have a bunch of new stuff since you're mm-hmm. already, um, was that, uh, is that intentional? Like, you know, one, 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 like dribble, dribble, dribble. And then like later you would kind of do some like flood, uh, a little bit of a, more of a flood yeah. of stuff. Maybe more related to like having a tilt, like uh, two thirds of the way through the game. So, uh, you know, things shift, uh, you know, you challenge expectations. So if you do something the same for a while, then you can really kind of mess with players' minds. That may that may have to do with having more, uh, as, as a result of that, there, there may be more uh, stuff introduced, but that's not really the goal. It's, to, it's not really a, a, the goal to dump a lot of mechanisms on someone. It's yeah, those, like are more, those are more narrative where we really would talk about it like a three act tv show or play we talked about it's like a tv season okay we have 12 episodes in the season and so at the end of act one which could be april may you know tease in march that something happens in april or may you usually get like okay you 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 just felt a level of mastery and we're gonna pull the rug out a little bit and ask you to do something new so then you spend a couple months and you're like okay and then we would do it again like in august september october and now we try to raise the stakes and say okay you know, you've played eight games, you played nine games, maybe you're a little tired and you want to like, oh, uh, you know, let's play something else. You're like, man, we only got three games left and they just introduced this. Let's, let's see how this goes, right? This is like, we wanted to basically get into that last 20 minutes of the movie and where you're just like, how does this end? And so, you know, we would go back and forth because that's another thing. If people are like, why don't you do more of these? It's like, cause, cause we've done it three times. And like, at some point people are just going to be waiting for they're going to start to see all the rhythms that are in there. Um, and we tried to mix it up, but mm-hmm. yeah. All right. So uh, that was our overview of legacy. Uh, so we're going to move on to the next part of our conversation, which is just looking at all three pandemics and, uh, you know, going from there. And so that's where we're going to cut the episode. Part one of my chat with Rob Davio, Matt Leacock about this state of legacy in general. Uh, that was a really fun time. We get into more fun times next episode, also on the Shelf Stories YouTube channel, also on the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. So if you're looking for the podcast version, there is always every single game chat that I do is going to be available on the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast feed. So I always have people coming along saying uh, the video shows are great, but I'd love to have it on a podcast. It's much more useful. It has been on the One Stop Co-op Shop going on a year now. Very, very excited to have uh, joined that outfit uh and it is full steam ahead uh all the all the podcasts that i do all the video shows will be available in audio form on the one stop corrupt shop podcast stay tuned for part two talking about pandemic legacy uh season one season two and season zero the games themselves next time so this is jason reminding you if you can change your mind you can change the world so until next time later everybody thanks for joining us again for the one stop co-op shop podcast 
Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another Top 5 list.